Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Hey, good evening, everybody. Justin Hughes here, and we are less than two weeks from opening day. It's good to have you all with us, and Andrew's here with me. Andrew, how are you doing? Doing good. Ready to tackle these uh, last positional ranks, relievers. It's the final ranking episode. I just was counting it up. This is our 13th episode we have done in something like 38, 39 days. We have been tackling these things. Yep, it's been fun. Before I get started, I have a question for you. I have not told you I was going to ask you this, so I'm springing it on you. But for everybody listening, Andrew's birthday was yesterday. And here is my game for you. I want you to rank these three holidays for you. Okay. We got all of them happen this weekend. We got St. Patrick's Day. We got Andrew McQuiston's birthday. And we have Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s birthday. Give me the order of how hard these were celebrated. Uh, how hard they were celebrated? Yes. Uh, St. Patrick's Day 1, my birthday 2, Vlad's birthday 3. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're telling me you did not bake him a cake, then I'm very I... disappointed. I thought I, you know what I thought you were going with that. I thought you were going to say like my birthday versus opening day versus the first day of the NCAA tournament <laughs> because I know people listening probably don't know this, but I'm like a big college basketball. Like I like college basketball a lot. I love the NCAA tournament, and I thought like you were going to say something like that or or something to do with like my birthday versus opening day, which I would have said opening day over my birthday for sure, but. Uh, yeah, no, it was, I had a good time. Just went out with some friends and had a couple green beers like we usually do. So it's a good time. Okay. So you brought college basketball into this and just reminded me of a conversation we had the other day. There's a baseball game at four 30 in the morning on Thursday morning. And then there's college basketball starting six hours later. What on earth are you going to do? Yeah. So it's, uh, the first, the game is it. That's the second game. Of the two Japan games, so it's 4.35 in the morning. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to watch the baseball game. <laughs> Hopefully it's a quick one, but I don't know if it will. You know, we'll see on that. And then uh, I think the first tournament game that day is like at 11.40, so I might sleep in between. I don't know because I'm off that day, <laughs> so we'll see. But And then the tournament will be on all day, so I'll – I'll have that going most of the day, but I'm at least off, so I can't really complain too much, right? Ah, that's a good timing, at least. Yeah. So all of you who are in the Baseball 365 group, just be sure to be sending Andrew messages that Wednesday night, Thursday morning, trying to ask him questions and keep him entertained. Let's just see how little we can make him sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we may not sleep much anyways. We'll see, but. Okay, well. On this episode, we're going to talk about some news. been a week or two since we've talked about news, and there's a lot going on in the league as we're within two weeks of opening day. And then we're going to talk about relief pitcher rankings, which, eh, it's their relievers, the most frustrating position in fantasy baseball. You ready to get on to some news, Andrew? Ready. Let's do it. 
first bit of news, and this one has been near and dear to your and my heart, and that is the Colorado Rockies second base competition that's still going on right now. Garrett Hampson is hitting 313 with six steals, three home runs, and a 996 OPS. That usually would mean he's running away with the job, but the problem for him is Ryan McMahon is having a, possibly an even better spring with a 429 batting average, a 1.24 OPS. He's hitting doubles like crazy, and I think he hit his fourth home run of the spring today. I went into the spring training that thinking that if both played about the same, Hampson would win that job, but my opinion on this has changed a bit over the last few days to a week. Hampson lost a little ground with a hamstring injury last week, and now since returning, he's played four innings in the outfield on Saturday, and on Sunday he was starting at shortstop, while McMahon's been at second. I'm personally starting to think that if this season started now, McMahon is playing second base, and Hampson's the super utility guy. Andrew, you and I both have a lot of investments into Hampson and redraft leagues. How worried are you at this point? Uh, I'm a little concerned. I don't want to overrate the last week or so, week and a half too much, but it is there and I recognize it. I It's just, it's irritating to me that the one guy I need to not play well is playing like he probably has, I haven't looked, he probably has close to like the highest OPS in all of spring training, McMahon. It's it's just crazy what, what he's doing. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to – I'm a little concerned, but I don't, uh, I don't really know if we – if any of us know. You know, I, it could be – I still feel like it could go either way. Hampson's playing really good too. It's just annoying more than anything, I guess. You know, I have Hampson in both of my redrafts. I actually do own McMahon in both of my dynasty leagues. So I feel like – if one of them wins the job, it's going to be good news for me somewhere. But on the same note, my dynasty leagues aren't competing right now, and I was definitely banking on Hampson being that guy who got that job. And as the backup in both of those leagues where I took Hampson, I took Brennan Rogers. I actually thought he had more of a shot of having that job and still well, you know, could, I guess, by the second month of the season than I did McMahon. McMahon struggled so much. It didn't seem like they had any faith in him. I was legitimately starting to wonder if this guy's career was about to go the Rimal Tapia route. It, it still could, but McMahon's just raking right now. Extra base hits. I, I think he's leading the spring training with extra base hits, which would make sense given his OPS. He is leading in OPS. I just looked. And he's leading in extra base hits, too. He's tied with Judge. It's just like he, this is just, I mean, granted, it's only 45 at bats, you know, 19 game. I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's a small sample, but when you're competing for a job, it all matters. So yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know. It just makes you wonder. I've definitely, I probably thought about it as much as the Rockies coaching staff. I mean, I think about it a lot, you know, but. It's it, what's going to happen is going to happen. I think that they're going to work. Uh, I think they're going to work Hampson in either way. It, it may not be perfectly ideal to start out, but you know, even if it was a day or two before the season and they said McMahon won the job, I would be 
disappointed, but I, I don't think all is, you know, hope is lost for the whole season. It, some of the stuff is kind of, it cycles, you know, it's like all it takes is him struggling for a stretch. Hampson gets in there, gets hot. You never know, but it's, it's a little annoying right now for sure. I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. That team has a ton of flexibility with how they can move guys around too, in terms of yeah. Hampson can play all over the infield. McMahon's playing three different positions, even though second base is clearly his worst position, and that's not a natural fit for him. And then Hampson can go play in the outfield. Ian Desmond's in the outfield and can go play first. Daniel Murphy does have experience at second, or that's where he played most of his career, even though he's getting up there in years to where all it takes is one injury, and they can shuffle things around and have them both in the lineup pretty easy. Yep. Yeah, Exactly. They've got some guys on their team that have been injury prone or, you know, you could see being hurt. So you, you never know. It, I think that they'll probably both get their share of work this year. I was hoping that I, I at the beginning, Hampson would start with the job. And he still might. We'll see. I could easily see them both starting four to five games a week because they've got Daniel Murphy, who I'm sure could use some time off here and there. Both Hampson and McMahon can take a couple games off a week. You got Ian Desmond out there in the outfield. He's getting up there in years. And then you got David Dahl, who is one of the most injury-prone players to where I would be wanting to get him a day off here and there, trying to keep him fresh, to where I could easily see them both getting at least four starts a week. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Moving on. Late breaking news, Gio Gonzalez on Monday signed a one-year, $3 million contract with the Yankees. I had been hearing rumors over the weekend that they were in talks, but pretty far apart in terms of um, dollar amount. But it looks like they came to an agreement, and I think it was Gio was the one that ended up bending here. The Yankees really did need another arm with Severino and CeCe Sabathia starting the year on the DL, and Luis Sessa. I think I'm saying that right. He was previously scheduled to be their fifth starter. Now, Gio won't be ready to start on opening day, but he should be ready shortly after. He does have a clause in his that he can opt out of his contract if he's not on the 25-man roster by sometime in late April. I think I saw April 20th. Now that he has a deal with the Yankees, what do you personally think about his 2019 value, Andrew? I mean, it, it kind of is what he is. I, he's like a probably a spot starter type, unless he's really hot or really bad. If he's really hot, maybe you start him a little more consistently. If he's really bad, you, it's probably just hands off. But it's a guy that's been going so late in like fifty round draft and holds that he'll he should get innings. I think his whip is going to be terrible, though. I will say that. I, I think that in the AL East, in those parks and line, against those lineups, and I think his whip will be bad. But it's not anybody that anyone is really investing much in anymore. The one po- positive thing with him is, though, like I said, is he's not a type of guy that really has bullpen risk or an innings limit. Like, you could see him going out there and pitching 180, 200-plus innings. Maybe not 200 if he's you know, not ready for opening day because that's kind of a tight window. But he's not somebody that they're going to cap. It's just his whip will probably kill you, like I said. But spot starter, guy that could get wins on a good team, 
he is what he is, but he's probably a little bit better than he's been given credit for, I guess. As far as an ADP goes, I don't know where it's at, but I know it's really, really late. I don't think I've ever once owned Gio Gonzalez in a fantasy league. And I think my reasoning is I just don't like guys that walk a ton of hitters. In some years, I've it's been a good thing. In some years, he's been incredibly good, and I've looked dumb for not wanting him. But this will be the first year I own him. I picked him up in a dynasty league yesterday on on our weekly fab that he was sitting out there. And I guess I lucked out because within 24 hours of me grabbing him, he's now signed. So I guess I'm cheering for him this year, but low expectations. Anything he does, like you said, he'll get you innings, but anything he does that's good is just on the t- a gravy on the top. Now we'll move on to Gio Gonzalez's new teammate, Aaron Hicks, who had a cortisone shot put into a stiff back about a week ago, and it sounds like he will not be ready on opening day. But the hope is that he will be back within a week of the opening series, which if you're not ready on opening day, you can proactively put that DL stint back to spring training time, and he likely will be on the DL to start the year, which will be the seventh consecutive season that he's been on the DL. It's just a few games, hopefully, though. I have no drafts left personally, but if I did, I don't think this news affects my ranking of Hicks. Does it affect yours, Andrew? No, I don't think it really affects my ranking of him. I I will say, though, that I don't really think that it's going to get a lot better with Hicks from what we've already seen. I think it's a guy that is kind of peaked and... I could see, you know, the DLs, the guy's always been beat up. Like, he's just always beat up. And, yeah, I think best case scenario is probably in the rearview mirror. I don't think it's going to get much better than that. So I sold him last year in one dynasty league and haven't really been getting him. It's not to say he's not good. I, would, I, I wouldn't let this affect my ranking of him, but it's just something to keep in mind. If you're thinking that, he is on an upward t- trajectory and going to keep getting better. I think you're going to be disappointed. I would have said that, I guess, before this news, you know. So that's why I just, I don't really feel like this affects it. I don't have his stats in front of me, but I think I remember he had something like 27 home runs and 11 steals last year. And yeah, I wouldn't be expecting an increase from that. But I also think he can still be somewhat close to that if he got around the same amount of games in. And what I do like about him, there are two things I remember liking about him when I was looking him up. His batting average on balls in play, if I recall, it was pretty low to where I thought there could be some growth there. And secondly, I think Brett Gardner is going to be starting the year in the nine hole. And that means Hicks might be hitting at the top of the lineup a little more than he was last year. Yeah, I haven't looked at their lineup. It's showing Gardner leading off now, but it doesn't have Hicks in the lineup, so it's probably just really? adjust. Well, it just it's adjusting for him being hurt. That's why. Yeah, that's it has, true. It has him on the uh, injured list or whatever. It has Gardner leading off right now. Which, with him hurt, I would expect that. But I think yeah. I remembered reading a few times this offseason that they were planning on playing Gardner in the nine hole more often, which they were doing late last year. So that's not that surprising but it just means Hicks might get a few more games at the top of that lineup. All right, next up, Corey Seager. Dave, manager Dave Roberts said that he will be ready by opening day. Andrew, you've talked a lot about being high on him, and I know you have shares, so hallelujah, right? 
Yep. Yeah, it's good. I'm uh, definitely glad about that. He's yep. He's a good player, and it's just good to see good players on the field. You know, regardless, it's it's definitely good to see. Agreed. Uh, third baseman Matt Carpenter with the Cardinals. He was scratched from the Cardinals lineup on Sunday with back tight tightness. They say it's nothing serious, but this does raise a flag for me for a 33-year-old who's had back issues in the past, and now he's moving back over to third base where he's going to beat up his body even more over there. Makes me a little more alarmed, personally. Yeah, I don't really have too much to add with Carp. I could see it becoming an issue, yeah. I don't have uh, much left in the way I draft, so I would maybe bump him down a little bit, but yeah, it's... Just kind of have to see how it plays out. I definitely don't think that it helps with the fact that he's going to be playing third all the time. That doesn't help. Definitely something to monitor. Carlos Gonzalez is finally signed. He got a one-year, $2 million contract with an extra million possible in incentives. Cargo also has an opt-out in April if he isn't on the 25-man roster. Man, what a fall he's had. At least he got a did get a big contract in Colorado before becoming the free agent here, and there is a path to playing time for him. I know I have a share. I think in my draft and hold league, I have him, and I'm happy about that because I got him for real cheap. But I still have pretty low expectations personally for a guy who really wasn't that great hitting in the friendly confines of Colorado last year. How much optimism do you have on him this year? Do you know what their plans are for? him as far as starting is he going to be starting or what is their trying to pull up their lineup well they signed him to a minor league contract so i don't yeah. think anything's guaranteed here it's yeah. i mean they're just throwing darts seeing what hits because uh, bradley zimmer's still he's on his way back from an injury they got greg allen out there and jake bowers and oh i'm forgetting yeah Leon, leonis martin and naquin and yeah. They got a bunch of mess is what it is, besides Bowers. Yeah. I mean, Bowers and Allen, I think Allen's are I, – I like Allen, like I've mentioned before too. But I don't even know if he – like even I say that, and I don't even know if he's locked into a spot for sure. It sounds no, he like isn't. it, it kind of sounded like one thing I read. It sounded like he was, but I don't think any of it's guaranteed. So I think Cargo could be okay when he's out there, but – not anything that exciting and I think he's gonna have to play pretty darn good to even like stick you know I don't know it's just kind of whatever to me we'll wait and see but he hasn't cost anybody anything so it's like what does it matter really you know no one's invested in him no I could easily see this being a situation where he's hitting something like 250 or 260 in May and he's pacing himself for something like 10 to 12 home runs and five steals if he played a full season. So, in other words, he'd maybe have four, three or four home runs and one or two steals, and they just release him at that point. I could easily see that scenario with him because I watched him a lot because I had a share of him last year in Colorado, and I was not impressed, especially when he was away from Colorado, which most people aren't as good, but... I have a pretty low bar for him for where I'm my expectations. Yeah, it's totally fair. I I get it. I totally get it. Dave Roberts has conceded that Kershaw is unlikely to be ready by opening day. 
And to that, I do say, well, duh. He was just starting to throw off a mound, and the season starts in less than two weeks. There's not enough time for him to be ready. But this does give hope that if everything goes smoothly, he could maybe just miss something like two to three turns in the rotation. But that still feels like a big if. Yeah, I have no idea. I feel like when they say some of this stuff, it's it's like sugar-coated, and it's not the truth. And Whenever there's timelines on injuries, I, I just always have an eyebrow raised. I don't ever really believe them. I don't think that they're that accurate most of the time. and It's definitely not a good vibe with him right now. It's like you just hope he gets back as soon as he can, but I don't. I don't have an expectation on it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like, you just hope it's soon, but, you know, it's it's going to be what it's going to be. And it, what what they say that it may be or it might be this or it may be that, I don't put that much stock into that stuff. It's just like, you got to wait it out. I mean, obviously, it's a guy that you're rostering and you're just waiting until he can pitch. And when he's pitching, you're pitching him. So there's really nothing to do. There's no, like, decision to be made. As far as that goes, it's just how long is he going to be out? And I truly have no idea. Except for those guys who are drafting this weekend, because this is a busy weekend for drafting for fantasy baseball. And man, I don't know if there's a guy who I would be more uncomfortable about in terms of watching him continue falling and keep wanting to take the bait. And when I would finally feel comfortable pulling that trigger as I, as I would feel about Kershaw. Man, I just think that'd be tough watching him falling down there past 100, 150 overall. It's like, when do you finally pull a trigger if you're in a draft right now? Yeah, I, I want to say that I heard on a podcast that he went in the TGFBI Champions League. So, you know, like all the champions that are in one league, the champions from the leagues last year. They're in one league together this year. And I want to say that they said he went in like the I, I want to say they said eighth or ninth round, maybe, or tenth even. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even remember, but I remember it was late. I might be confusing him now with Bumgarner because they were talking about Bumgarner slipping too. So I could be off on that, actually. But, yeah, I just remember they were saying how he was slipping and nobody was taking him. And the guys were like, they didn't even want to take him. You know, it was just... I wish I I wish I knew exactly where he went though. I just I can't remember. But yeah, it it definitely is fallen. You know, it just it makes sense. But once he gets back out there, I'm I'm sure that he'll be good. He always is. It's just a matter of how long that's going to be. Like I said, I I have no idea. I don't have any expectation on it either. If they they could say tomorrow he's out a month. They could say he's going to start the second week of the season. Nothing will shock me. Mm-hmm. I think we did discuss Madison Bumgarner versus Kershaw. I think I still would take Kershaw over Mad Bum. Is that how you feel, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would take Kershaw over Mad Bum. Yeah. All right. Michael Taylor with the Nats, he's got a sprained knee and hip, and they're saying he's going to miss a significant amount of time. Taylor was the only thing that seemed to be left in the way of Victor Robles getting that gig. Even then, it looked like Victor Robles had it wrapped up. Taylor's not a good hitter, but this should give Robles a little more security, even if he struggles to start the year. I keep continuing to see him move up draft boards, and this news here, I'm sure it's just going to keep that going up. Yeah, so with Robles, 
he's like he's moving up draft boards. Um, his ADP overall was about a hundred for you know the entire off season from like early November till now. In the last week, in about a hundred NFBC drafts, he's at eighty nine. So he's moving up a little bit. Uh, I f- it, the highest he's gone is sixty two in any draft. So I feel like it's one of those guys you just got to be aggressive on if you want him. It's he's he's flying up. I mean, there's no secret. You know, everybody wants him, and the potential skill set that he is going to provide combined with the upside it's just it's uh you know it's something to dream on and he has the opportunity so there's a lot of people buying in i totally understand it it's just not going to be cheap anymore like i said i i got him uh i think i said in a previous show i got him like at 112 in the league i got him and i'm thrilled about that it's awesome yeah that is a bargain honestly i'm glad his adp is only at 89 i've heard of him going in other non-NFPC drafts significantly sooner than that. And I've thought, man, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. But at 89, if that's his ADP in the last week in the NFPC, I like that price. Yeah, it's basically like the 6th, 7th round, you know, 6th, 7th yeah. turn pretty much, which seems reasonable. And he should be moving up drafts. He's had a good spring. Harper's gone. Taylor's hurt. He's yep. got a lot more wiggle room than he did a month ago. For for whatever it's worth, I don't really think that the Taylor news affects his outlook that much anyways, but it doesn't hurt it either. You know, it, it if anything it helps it, but I just I don't think that Taylor was going to be in his way. I don't think so either unless he just started out really struggling. It's possible that, that could have happened and maybe Taylor got off to one of those stupid hot starts that he sometimes gets on. I think he did it last year and maybe even the year before and start stealing at bats from him. I could have just seen it happen. I'm not saying that the odds were high, but now with him out of the way completely, I mean, there's nobody that can go in there and take that spot from him and even start stealing at bats from him. So yeah, he should run away with that. Brian Cashman saying that Severino, Luis Severino isn't expected to return until May with a rotator cuff injury. He's supposed to start a throwing program by the middle of sometime this week, but he by no means is out of the woods. Shoulder injuries, they're no joke. Yeah, they're no joke. I I would be hands off with this guy. I would pretty sure I would take Kershaw over him. I don't want anything to do with Severino at the moment. I gotta know what's going on. Shoulder, it's no yeah, it's no joke. I mean, May now? I mean, it's just like, come on, man. I, and then it could be, you know, I feel like next week it could be June. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I want nothing to do with him at this point until I know a firmer timeline. And I don't I don't think we're going to know that for a while. No, I mean, he's not even supposed to throwing until the middle of the week. And if that's the case, yeah, we're not going to find out much to where best case scenario is May right now. Yeah, it could easily be June. All right. Kyle Seeger is out 10 to 12 weeks with a broken tendon in his left hand that needs repaired. I think this basically makes Seager undraftable unless you're in a 15-plus team league with a lot of DL slots. Neither one of us were too high on him when we did our third base ranks. Are you in agreement there, or would you take him still? No, yeah, I I was never really taking him anyway, so it's like it's just a veteran on a bad team that's in decline, and he's in decline, and nah, 
Now he's hurt. Pass. He's the wrong Seeger brother. You got the yeah. other guy. Yeah. Well, this was another piece of news I found out just before we started recording. Danny Salazar has increased his throwing to a distance of 180 feet. And I bring this up because I know you and I both really like the talent. Francona admitted it's been a real good couple of weeks for him, and he could be ready by May. Andrew, you love the talent. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your level of excitement with this news? Oh, man. Not high. <laughs> Not high. I actually, I really like Danny Salazar. Like, I really do. I think he's awesome. But he just obviously is so injury prone, it's ridiculous. Like, he just can't stay healthy at all. Um, I do like his talent when and if he's ever out there. But it's kind of one of those things at this point where I'm almost just waiting until he's back to react to anything. Because they're going to say, oh, he's doing this or he's doing that. He's throwing. I mean, they could say, oh, he hurt himself tomorrow because he was throwing. Like, he's just constantly hurt. So you can't really get excited until he's actually out there doing it. But, yeah, I've always been a fan of him. I think he has talent. It's just that's the hurdle. The health is really, really, it's brutal with him. I'm, like, numb to it at this point. I don't even... I won't even feel an effect of it till he's out there. Yeah, he has to be back out there throwing rehab starts and pitching well. And the other yeah. problem he has is Cleveland has five good starting pitchers right now. Now, I am hearing that San Diego is still trying to talk to them about Kluber and possibly Trevor Power, one of the two. And maybe an opening will come through a trade because Cleveland still could afford to trade one of those guys. But... I don't know if I'd want to do that, given you just don't know if Salazar's going to be back and Cleveland's still competing. We'll see. I will say this with Salazar. I think that there will be a point in the next couple years. It may be a little bit, but I think there's going to come a point where he gets back to fantasy relevance and he's really good again. I, I think it'll happen. It's just, when it's a guy that's hurt like this, you know, it's it's like if you're not competing in like a dynasty league or something like that, it's a good guy to trade for and just stash him away. Even if you are competing, if you can get him cheap enough, just stash him away, have him there for when he comes back. You know, you can just throw him on your DL. It doesn't like hurt you or anything. And I think he's the type of guy that will eventually make an impact. It's just I have no clue or expectation as to when it's going to be. But I do think that there will come that point again. And then if you want to get out and see what you can get for him, I totally get it. Because it may not last that long, but I think it will happen again at some point. Yeah, and I grabbed him with the dynasty team that I took where I went real young. I took him late for that reason. I feel like the upside's there. It's just a, all he needs to do is stay healthy and be on the mound for a little while. And, yeah, he could pop. With guys like him, when they're this cheap, like they are right now, like I took him in my startup dynasty too. It's like there's no – you're not risking anything just to hang on to him and see. You know his upside. His ceiling is is high for like per inning when he pitches. I do kind of wonder when he comes back if he'll be in the pen initially, but I think he might be honestly. But it, it, mm-hmm. it, I think there will be a point where he's back in the rotation – whether it be on Cleveland or he's traded or whatever. But I, I think he will get back to relevance. Well, I'll be cheering for him. 
All right, final piece of news. White Sox pitching prospect Dane Dunning underwent Tommy John surgery on Monday. Another project prospect pitcher falls to Tommy John. And this just gives the argument of the people who say tin step, which is there is no such thing as a starting prospect pitcher, or I think I threw starting in there. So tin step <laughs> continues getting more legs. Uh, the, I think that's the third year in a row. I remember a major pitching prospect having Tommy John by spring training. It was Alex Reyes last or two years ago, Brent Honeywell last year, and now Dunning this year. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how many times people need to see these guys go down with this to realize they just shouldn't be investing that much in pitching prospects. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense to do. I won't be doing it anytime soon, especially in a guy like Dunn. Like you said, Reyes and Honeywell, I mean, they're, they're at least elite pitching prospects, but Dunning's not that. I mean, he's fine, but he's not on their level. Anybody that's been out of shape because of this, well, get hitters. Get it's just <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just feel like we say it all the time, but it's just this is why you don't have to worry about this stuff as much with hitters. You just don't. If you have your prospect capital in bats, you, you don't have to deal with it. It's just one of those things. It's like you can't get too hyped about these arms that are young and not in the majors yet. They're not contributing to your team. They don't have as much value as the hitters. They can go down with injury. There's just so many things. It, I feel like it's such a simple concept. That, I don't know, but yeah, it's it sucks. I mean, it it does, but it's just part of what being a pitcher is. It happens to these young guys. Yeah, I think our, our goal is for our next podcast for us to talk about our startup dynasties, but I'll go on and let you in. I, I think Andrew's in a pretty similar boat here, but I had 20 minor league slots in my startup dynasty, and I drafted 19 hitters and one pitcher prospect out of that team when I went real young. And I've already cut the pitching prospect and added another bat to where I'm now 20 and zero. And I think you're not too far off of that, are you, Andrew, in your startup? Yeah, 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 it was the same thing, 20 and zero. I, I would have probably taken a few if it was the right guy in the right spot. It's not that. Like, I have other dynasty teams where I have pitchers, you know, in my minors, but yeah, it's just, I don't, it's just one of those things. It's like, I'm not going to reach for them. I'm not going to get too excited about them. And these are all the reasons why, you know, like guys come up, there's only a few that are aces. If you get lucky enough and one of them becomes that eventually, okay. But there's so many more that aren't going to become that or are going to become relievers or are going to get true. hurt along the way. Or, you know, there's just all these different things. Whereas the bats, they just have more value to begin with. You know, it's like you, you look at a first round or second round, third round of a dynasty startup draft, and it's almost all hitters. I mean, mostly other than your uber, uber elite pitchers. And there's a reason for it. That's why. It's just these guys, they just cycle in and out. They get hurt. They're out a year and a half. They come back. They're probably good again. Dane Dunning is not dead. You know, he'll be fine at some point. But that's why you just can't get too amped up about these guys. Nope. And the way I say it, which is basically another version of the exact same thing you just said, with hitters, you have to worry about performance. That's really all you have to worry about with a prospect hitter is performance. Will they hit? in the major leagues with pitchers, you've got to worry about injury and performance. So you have twice as much to worry about. 
with that. So yeah, like like one one guy that I've liked that I know we mentioned on the first year player draft podcast. I kind of like Ethan Hankins when we brought him up, but I also know this, and I have him on a couple of my dynasty teams. But like I know this, he's 18 years old. He had a shoulder injury. The reason that I invested in him is because it cost me like a third, fourth round sub draft pick, which I yep. view, which I view as not much. You know, it wasn't like I invested much. And the guy was a candidate to go one one overall in the MLB draft and only dropped because of that injury. So that's why I like him, because I think there's payoff potential. But I know that the kid is a risk like he's a risky pitcher and pitchers are already risky so he's about as risky as it gets he's 18 years old you know it's just but it's it that to me is just taking a shot on ceiling but I have totally realistic expectations with him like if I don't really expect that much you know it's like you hope that it hits and if it doesn't you just move on you can't get like heartbroken over these young arms it's just this is what happens all right that's all the news I have Ready to get started on relief pitchers? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. Relief pitchers. I think pretty clearly the most volatile position in fantasy baseball. Andrew, I want to start off with just asking about strategy because there's a lot of different ways you can go here. I see people who like having two elite guys. I know people that say, don't ever pay for saves. You can get them off free agency because there's so much turnover. You can get guys cheap late. And some guys just like hedging and maybe getting two mill guys or one guy real early and then trying to grab some scraps late. What's your typical strategy this year with a 15-team redraft with closers? Uh, I like getting a stud reliever kind of this year. I'm in... At the moment, I'm in four redraft leagues, two draft and holds, two just regular with fab and stuff. Uh, I got Diaz in one, I got Kenley in two, and I got Kimbrel in one. So you can kind of see there, I have dynasty shares of uh, Diaz, Jansen, and uh, Araldis, and Osuna actually, too, who's the next one down. So... Pretty much all the elite guys except for trying and I'm invested in on some level. Um, I like taking the top guys. I feel like we're getting to a point with these relievers where when you get down to the middle tier of closers, it, it's a mess already. And then it's like those guys are the guys that are going to cycle in and out. The thing that I like about the top guys is you know they're pitching the ninth. Like I don't have to sit there and worry about Edwin Diaz or Kenley Jansen or Roberto Osuna losing their job. Like they're pitching the ninth inning, you know, barring something unforeseen, which could always happen. But I like getting a stud closer. Yeah, right now it's it's definitely the way to go for me. It's almost like our conversation with prospect pitchers. With the top tier closers, you mostly just have to worry about injury. While with once you get down to outside of those elite top five to ten, you've got injury and performance you to worry about. And that's why so many of those guys turn is either one of those seems to happen with a lot of the guys outside of the top five to ten. 
Yeah, and sometimes it's guys that you don't even expect. Like, last year, Cody Allen was, I want to say off the top of my head, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, he was in, like, the 9 to 12 range, maybe, like, going into the season, closer-wise. Isn't that about, is that about right? That sounds about right. I was just trying to look it up to see if I could yeah, find out. But that yeah, about you, right. you don't even have to look it up. But my point is, is sometimes it's even with guys that you don't, you know, once you get past the elite few and like I said, I feel like there's maybe six to nine or ten. There's there's not a lot of them. I feel like even when you get into that middle area, it's already like ugly. Like you could see a, a way that those guys lose their job and it happened. Like Cody Allen was horrible last year. I owned him. He was terrible. Like I, I dropped him at the end of the year and I have no regrets of doing it. I know he's got the job this year and I wish people luck because I'm telling you that ain't a fun ride. It sucked. <laughs> like it was awful, but that's what happens with non elite closers. Like they just bounce back and forth from, you know, they'll have a good run and then they'll be terrible and then they'll lose their job for a period and yada, yada, you know, and it's, and I've just gotten to the point, especially when we draft earlier, because this is another thing I always think about too. The earlier in the off season that you're drafting, I feel like those top closers are even more valuable because you don't know the closing situation on probably a third of these teams when you're early in the off season. You know, a third to like half, like there's 10 to 15 teams. You could sit there and pretend all you want, like, you know, who's closing. But how many teams have we gone through this offseason and asked, like, who's the closer? Who's the closer? Nobody mm-hmm. knows, you know. So I like I mean, I don't ask that about Edwin Diaz or Aldis Chapman, Kenley Jansen. I don't have to ask that question. I know they're who the closer is. And it's like if taking one of those guys means that. I take an outfielder or a shortstop or a first baseman one round later. So be it. Like, I just, I want one of those guys. I want two of those guys. I yeah, have two yeah. I can leagues. see the, I can see the argument for wanting two. I did a bunch of mocks this early in the off season. And I found out real early that I like my rosters best when I've just been taking two closures pretty early. I'm in two redrafts and in one redraft, both of these are 15 teams the first one, the draft and hold league, I took Edwin Diaz and Kenley Jansen, and I loved the way that roster fell to, together. And in the second one, which was an auction, I spent the money for Edwin Diaz and Aroldis Chapman, and I did take a couple other cheap guys. I think I took both White Sox guys. It was an auction, and I just felt like I had. I took two aces to where I thought I can patchwork a rest of a staff and get a get a lead in saves and be able to move some guys during the season if whoever's got that job in Chicago, but I'm a believer this year in buying, buying the elite guys. You know, the other thing too, and I always used to think like, don't pay for saves and stuff. I kind of used to always be along those lines of thinking, but another thing that it allows you to do that I think people a lot of times don't think about is when you have one stud closer or two stud closers, you know, even just one, it doesn't even necessarily have to be two, but if you have one that you think is a stud and then you mix and match, you know, a couple others trying to find a second or third, whatever, 
you don't have to spend a lot of fab chasing saves. Yeah. And I will tell you, if you punt saves and you think that you can get them on the wire, you probably can. But guess what? There's going to probably be five to six teams in your league, maybe more, that are chasing the same guy that you are. And before you know it, it's August 1st, and you've blown 600 of your 1,000 fab chasing bad middle relievers that might get a few saves. It just, that's the negative to doing it that way, too, is not only do you not have the elite guy, but you're constantly bidding on those guys cycling in and out. And unless you get lucky and hit on the one that holds it for the whole year and gets 25 or 30 saves, then you're constantly just, you're wasting fab is what you're doing. So it's just something to think about because I don't, I don't think a lot of people think about that when they say, oh, I can just pick saves up and I'll be good and yada, you know, it's, it's a lot more to it than that. Other, and the, the guys that have the elite closers, they've got more fab to bid on, you know, stud hitters that get called up and pitchers that are breaking out and stuff like that. The only exception to that is if you don't play, the, play in a league that does not use fab and it's one of those first come first serve leagues. Which, to that, I say, if you're one of the guys who is the first guy to it, which in my home leagues I used to play in, I was one of those guys, then you got the advantage to where you could probably grab guys. But on that same note, get in a league where you play use fab. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it takes a lot of the skill out of it. It's more just a who can yeah. spend their most time in front of their computer and snipe guy or be the first one to act when something happens. Yeah, our home league, like years ago, used to be like that. And I tell you what, I was the first one to a lot of guys. And I want, you know, I got a lot of guys because I was the quickest. But I knew deep down it was wrong. It wasn't the right way to play it. It's a terrible way to play. Terrible. Yeah. I don't think I played in the league with Fab until. 2015 or so and i started playing fantasy baseball in 22 2002 so still the very big majority of my leagues that i've played in are still first come first serve but ever since going to fab four years ago i tried pushing all my home leagues to go into that afterwards and i won't ever play in a first come first serve baseball league again okay well you think we talked about that long enough uh we did put out there on the facebook group uh, questions that people want to ask about relief pitchers and how much do people want to hear about relief pitchers and talk about them? We got one question. <laughs> Bob, Bob Rag did ask a really good question though about relief pitchers. He asked with the bullpenning and the way it's going, it seemed that the traditional role of a closer was becoming more obsolete. And I'm going to cut it off there and say what he's implying to here with bullpenning is situations with teams not always using their best reliever as a closer with some examples like Archie Bradley Jr., Josh Hader, Andrew Miller, and they were being thrown in whatever inning they were needed the most. So back to Bob's question. He was saying with the new rule on pitchers having to face three batters minimum, do you guys think that this will put more emphasis on having to have a dominant closer again in the ninth inning? Or do you think it'll be even more important to deploy that guy in crucial game situations? Or is it all, do you think, just much ado about nothing? Yeah, I think it's, 
I don't know. I think it's much ado about nothing, to be honest. I don't know how this whole uh, three batter minimum thing is going to affect it, but I hate the rule. Yeah, I, overall, I, I think it's kind of a wait-and-see thing. What do you think? That was going to be my answer. Much ado about nothing. I honestly don't think it changes much. The only thing I think that rule really changes is it really hurts lefty specialists. I think with closers and really strong relievers, it's all the same. They're going to go out there and throw. If you had a guy who was still doing the Josh Hader, Andrew Miller role, they'll probably still be doing what they were before and closers still closing. What do you think overall about this three batter minimum thing? So, so just to, just to say before you, you answer, the rule as I understand it from what I read, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that the rule is you have to face three batters unless you get hurt or you end the inning. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's right, right? Uh-huh. That's what okay. I've been told anyway. So okay. if you're what, wrong, we're both wrong. What's your thoughts on it? I'm pretty torn on it. I think I'd rather it just stay the way it is. I don't know if I hate it as bad as you do, but that mostly is just I've hated the loogie who can't get right-handers out, and I I just don't like these pitchers that can only get one side out. But on the same note, I don't know if this is the right way to fix it. I just don't feel comfortable about what they're trying to do here. So overall, if I had to pick, if they had told me a month ago this was the rule would you want it or not want it i'd probably have said don't want it but i don't think i'm as upset as you are though yeah i'm just like and i i know you're what you're saying about the loogie you don't like that i understand that but the way i look at it is we'll hit the guy then like i guess it's easy to say the lefty can't get other guys out you know righties out or whatever but if the left-handed bat could hit the left-handed pitcher, it wouldn't matter. You know? Fair enough. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, it's like it doesn't – and I just – my main issue with it is I can't stand, just to put it into a scenario, 2-2, bottom of the eighth, team has three lefties coming up. The game is obviously tied. It's, it's a crucial point in the game. You're starting the bottom of the eighth. Three lefties coming up. They bring in the lefty. And now this team can pinch hit three right-handed hitters that mash lefties. And the, the team pitching can't take that lefty out. You know one guy I thought of? Steve Pierce. Guy crushes <laughs> lefties. Like Boston needs another edge, right? Yeah. But, but, yeah, it was just one guy I randomly thought of today. It's just I don't understand how you can't take the pitcher out, but you can change the hitters. You know, you can pinch hit them. And then the other thing I don't like, which this just makes no sense to me either, if it's the end of it, let's say there's two outs, it's the end of the inning, you get the, you, the guy comes in, he gets one batter out, inning ends, he can come out of the game, but he doesn't because there's a lefty due up first the following inning. Now he has to face two batters, right? I hadn't even thought about that part. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like, so you face one batter to end the inning. You can come out now, but if you don't, you have to face two to start the next inning. I mean, unless I misunderstood the rules I read, I'll admit I read it quickly. I could be wrong. 
But that's how I understood it. And it just, I don't, I get that we're trying to speed the game up. I get all that. You know, there's things that bother people. It doesn't bother me. And I understand that. But some of this stuff, man, it's like they're messing with it too much. And this, to me, is one of those things. And the problem is there are a ton of commercials in baseball and grand scheme of things. There are ways you could speed up the game that cost them money or cut down the innings. But there's no way anybody's doing that because they're getting their revenue. So they're cherry picking here and finding ways to do it that messes with the game because they can't bend on these other ends. It's a frustrating thing. I, I'm not in favor of many of these pace of play rules that they've tried do, doing to speed the game up. I just I get they're trying to keep the game, keep the young fans interested who are losing interest because the games are too long. But I don't know. People are still watching a football game that's three and a half hours. That doesn't seem to bother them. I don't know if it's as much the length of the game as just how many games there are with with young fans. Yeah, or or the actual game itself. Because what what yeah. I feel like what I feel like can happen is you change it too much, you still don't get the young fans, and then you start losing diehards because of mm-hmm. you're changing the game too much. I mean, like I will admit, like, and obviously I'm a diehard baseball fan, you know, I watch tons and tons of games. But I will admit, when I sit down and I'm watching a game at night and there's a guy that comes in to face one batter and then there's another guy that comes in to face one batter and then there's another guy and it adds up and there's commercials in between each one, I'll admit I'm a little like irritated, like, ah, this, this sucks, you know. But at no point do I ever think they need to change this rule and make it where they face three batters at a minimum and... I never think that. I would much rather deal with that slight irritation that happens, you know, maybe once every two or three games than changing the game permanently. I just, I think it's stupid, personally. All right. Well, we're going to breeze through these relievers here. I don't know if we're going to spend near the depth of time on these as we have in any of the other positions, but we definitely are going to have some discussions about the guys that are interesting to us including most of these top guys, because they are the interesting ones. Edwin Diaz, he's the first reliever off the board. His ADP is 51 and a half right now. So we're talking somewhere in the middle of the fourth round. First question for you, Andrew, is he the clear number one closer for this year? Yes, clear number one. Agreed. Okay. Does the fact that he was used in so many games last year, I think I counted he was pitched in 73 games, or switching teams going from to the Mets, does that have any effect of your ranking on Diaz? Nope. No, no, uh, no effect. He's, he's the best right now. I don't generally care with the elite guys what team they're on. I mean, will he get as many saves as he did last year? You would guess not just because Seattle had an incredible run of one run type game situations. So probably not as many, but it doesn't have anything to do with how good he is. So I'm a long, uh, lifelong Edwin Diaz fan. So I have no issues with him here. Love him. Yeah. I think you and I both got in on him early and had chairs of him before he was even the closer there in Seattle that first year. I think you and I both had him in 2016 in our dynasty league. So yeah, we're both big fans. Yep. 
Number two, we got Blake Trinan, with the, who's the closer for the A's. He's at 65, so we're talking a full round later in the fifth round. He had an incredible 2018 with 38 saves and 100 strikeouts in 80 innings. He's now been a really good closer in Oakland for a year and a half. Andrew, is that long enough to feel comfortable taking him as the second overall closer? I don't really have a problem with him as the second overall closer. I just think that there's several of these guys that I like more. Like the next few guys, I just like them more because they've been doing it longer. And I just, I think they're just as good. You know, I, I don't really, they weren't just as good last year. And I, if, if you want to take trying in second, take them second. It makes no difference to me. I, I would personally prefer the ones that have done it a little bit longer. But, yeah, Trinan's great. I mean, he had an awesome season. Yep. I think I have him sixth on my rankings as I look at these guys. So I'm yeah. not quite taking him second either, but he has performed to a year and a half really well. I just, in the back of my head, I keep remembering when he started the two years ago with the Nats as a closer and how bad he struggled. But his strikeout rates continued improving, and he definitely has gotten better. Yeah, and these and these other guys, they're all they're all like dominant ninth inning guys every single season. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'd have tried I have tried in about six too. Number three is Kinley Jansen with the Dodgers at seventy four. So we're talking right there at the five six wheel. Again, this is in a fifteen team redraft league. Once again, he was dominant when healthy last year, though his du- numbers did dip a bit. I noticed that as I was looking into his Fangraphs page. His strikeout rate was at a career low, albeit still a great 10.3 per nine innings. His walk rate was all the way up to 2.1 per nine, which again, grand scheme of things, isn't that high, but it's still high for him. But all that said, he was still really, really good. At the end of the year, the heart issue did creep back up. He was having those heart problems, but he did have surgery this offseason that's supposed to fix that. I think personally, I with all that, I still have him as my number two closer. Andrew, where do you have him on your ranks? Yeah, probably number two. I understand that the uh, the heart thing is not something you ever want to hear. I think he's going to be okay. And he's just one of those guys that when he's healthy, he's pitching the ninth. And he's always awesome. Just one of those things that I'll probably own him until he's bad because I'm going to just keep buying into that and keep believing in it. I, there's a lot of short samples with these guys. So I kind of like when, you know, because obviously when you're a reliever, you're only pitching, Kenley pitches around 70 innings a year, you know? And when you're a reliever, it's a lot smaller of a sample. So having, Years upon years upon years of the dominance is something I kind of like to see. And Kenley has it. I mean, he's great every year. I mean, he did he did fall off a little bit last year, but I still trust him. I, ju- I just trust him. I, I don't even know how else to say it. It's just how I feel about him. And like I said, I'll probably own him the year he falls off because he's one of those guys that he just has such a long track record. You just you kind of have to just go with it. Craig Kimbrell is number four here at 77, so we're just a couple picks later. And Andrew, on our very first podcast, I asked you a month ago if you were worried about him being unsigned, and you at the time weren't. We're over a month later. Are you worried now with us being less than two weeks from opening day? 
Yeah, I actually posted this in the group yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I'm worried. I don't understand what's going on. Like, what is he wait? What is he waiting for? Like, it's crazy to me. But uh, yeah, I'm a little bit worried. I didn't think it would last this long. I I almost made a joke in my post about like who would have thought in the year of Manny and Harper that Kimbrel was be the one that took forever. You know, because <laughs> we were making the joke about Harper and Manny waiting and waiting and waiting, and now it's like we're almost at opening day and they're signing Kimbrel still isn't. So it's kind of funny, but everything I basically said about Kenley, I would say about Kimbrel, uh, you know, he, he did the walks crept back up last year, a little bit of a concern, but just a guy that I trust. And I know he's pitching the ninth. It's just right now. The question is what team is he going to pitch it for? And that's kind of a, Scary thing to question at this point when you're a week and a half from the season. You almost feel like somebody needs to have a serious injury for him to get a job right now because I don't know who's going to sign him. I mean, the only team I can think of where I could, I think it kind of makes sense right now is Atlanta. And I keep hearing they're not going to, they're not giving into his demand. So unless he really drops his rate, which I don't think he wants to do. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. I just don't know where he's going to land. So two questions for you. One, do you think he's signed to a major league roster on opening day this year? On opening day, like March 28th? Yes. Uh, gosh, that's like a coin flip to me. I actually was just about to say no, and then I was just about to say yes within like three seconds. So coin flip, I'll say yes but I don't feel good about it. There, there's mentioning, there's mention, a little bit of mentioning of the Cubs, too. Yeah, that would make sense. Which would make a lot of sense because... They need them. Yeah, yeah, they definitely could use them. But I have heard all offseason, and I know you heard this more than me, but they're trying not to spend over there. But who knows? Maybe his rate will get yeah. down there enough to where it's worth it. But I'm leaning no. I think... I think it's shortly after the season starts before he signs with the team. Yeah, but, it easily could be. Yep. And take a take a shot now. 30 teams here. Pick one. Just make a prediction. It doesn't matter. Who do you think he, si- he signs with? Cubs. And I'll say Atlanta. But I'm, I think. but I'm not I'm not confident. I'm not confident. <laughs> Neither am I. Okay, Haroldus Chapman with the Yankees is fifth at 79 overall, so a couple picks after Kimbrell. He's still striking batters out at a ridiculous rate, but he was pretty wild last year, walking 30 batters in 51 innings. They say a knee injury has sound like that was the big problem for him last year. Hopefully that's healed up for him in 29 because that's 2019 because that's an expensive price still. Yeah, yeah, it is. I actually um, talked to a Yankee fan who's pretty uh, in pretty tight with a lot of that. You know, he follows him really close and stuff. And uh, he's he's a little bit concerned about it as well. Whatever with the knee, I guess. But if, if you just like that aside, I, I still think a role. This is great. He's another one of the guys like Jansen, like Kimbrell, Diaz, you know, the next guy, there, he's pitching the ninth, no doubt about it. You know that. The only thing I will say with Aroldis that makes it a little shaky is that the Yankees have a really, really good pen. So if for some reason 
the walks spiral out of control even more or, you know, anything happens with him where he is kind of banged up, they have, like, other guys that they could use. So maybe that's something to keep in mind. But I've always liked to roll this for what he is, you know, on, on the field. I mean, he's, he's awesome. His K rate is, like, the best of all time. I mean, it's, it's, incredi- it's incredible. So His career strikeouts per nine innings is 15. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like comical. Yeah. He, one of those guys more, I think more than anybody on this list is like, you just, he's, he's a closer. Like he is the ninth inning guy on, on probably on any team that he would be on. It's, that's just what he does, you know? And he's the most fun closer to watch throw because it feels like if he's throwing strikes, you have no chance against that guy. Yeah. Because you've got a hundred mile an hour fastball you're trying to gear up for. Right after that, you've got an eighty nine mile an hour slider. It's just good luck. Yeah, I, I feel like we take him for granted as a whole, like it, baseball community and stuff. I, what he what he's done, it's just it's unbelievable, guys. Like no closer we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. In certain ways, obviously, I'm not saying he's the best closer we've ever seen. It's just. The way he go, the way he does it, it's just different, and it's it's awesome. He can be the most dominant closer we've ever seen. He may not have the sustained stretch, sustained stretch of dominance like Mariano Rivera had. Right, he's the most dominant closer I've ever seen. Roberto Osuna with the Astros is at eighty-two, so we're talking the couple another four picks after Chapman. Hard to believe this guy's still only 24. I'm going to leave the personal stuff out because that's really not what this is about. If you don't like Osuna because of his personal choices he's made and don't want to take him, more power to you. But Osuna missed a good portion of 2018 because of that suspension, and it was enough to make Toronto decide to move him to Houston. And while Asuna's 2.3 ERA and 21 saves in 38 innings look solid, his strikeouts were down significantly last year. He averaged less than eight strikeouts per nine in that smaller sample. But because it's a smaller sample and knowing he had outside distractions going on, I'm still gladly taking him here because before that, he's been an awesome closer. And I don't think there were any reports of injury to where I just think maybe the distractions got in the way here. Yep. I, uh, you know, obviously leaving the personal stuff out, but yeah, I love Osuna. He's awesome. Another guy. I mean, it's, he, um, I remember always thinking with him, like when he was 20, he was 21 in 2016. He had 36 saves for the Jays, 268 ERA, 10 Ks per nine. And I remember just thinking this guy is 21 years old. Like he's so young. I mean, he even had 20 the year before when he was 20 years old, you know? So just, he just got started so early. Like, yeah, he's only 24. It feels like he's already been around a while. He's probably in, in dynasty, probably like my number two closer. I, I think he's one of those guys that he'll be a really good closer for a while here. You know, is still, uh, you can't really see any signs of decline here coming for a while, but that said, relievers sometimes it's hard to see until it smacks you right in the face. But yeah, I, I'm I like Osuna. I do too. 
So now we're gonna I'm gonna list off four here for you, Andrew. We got Brad Hand at number seven at eighty five overall. Felipe Vasquez with the Pirates at eighty eight. Rizal Iglesias with the Reds at one hundred, and Sean Doolittle at one hundred one. Andrew, do you have anything to share on these four guys? And would you have them ranked in the same order NFBC does? Yep, I'd have them in this exact order. I think Han's the best for sure. And he's on the best team of the four, I guess, unless you wanted to argue Doolittle. Doolittle makes me nervous. I would definitely have him fourth. I don't trust him to stay healthy. And I also don't trust the situation like with Rosenthal. I could see Rosenthal sneaking in and possibly even taking the job from him if a few things go, you know, if they break right for Rosenthal. I, but, yeah, this is the order I'd have them. Hand, Vasquez, Iglesias, Doolittle. Three of the four lefties, which is odd. I, I'm, generally, odd. I'm generally not a big fan of lefty closers, but some of them – just get it done, and these guys, for the most part, do. I agree with the four. I'd have them ranked the same. Do little. I would not feel comfortable about. I look below him though, and I'm like, eh, I don't feel comfortable with any of those guys. So I guess I wouldn't move him down much, if at all. But going back to what you said, I could. Ease, being a Cardinal fan, I saw Rosenthal a lot, and I loved his value going into this year, and was really hoping he'd land somewhere with a closer gig. I was trying to snatch him up everywhere while he was still a free agent in dynasty leagues and in redraft leagues early this offseason. And I have quite a few shares of him. I love Doolittle's talent. And I think when he's on the mound and pitching, he's great. Strikes out guys at a good clip. Doesn't walk hardly anybody. But my fear is he doesn't stay healthy for a full season. And if he's out for a month, Rosenthal gets real hot during that month and is just mowing guys down and Doolittle comes back healthy, I could easily see a situation where they just decide, okay, Rosenthal's got this gig and is doing great, and he's got the closer experience before being a dominant closer. Let's just go on and keep him in that role and put Doolittle in in the eighth. And I would not feel comfortable drafting Doolittle here. And it goes back to my original statement of why I want the elite guys, because even though I don't feel comfortable about him here, I also don't like many of the guys below him either. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of echo that with Doolittle. I'm not that comfortable with him here. I got one thing to throw at you here that I I've thought this for a while, and mm-hmm. I'm just curious. I'm just curious your thoughts on it. I I believe I've said this before, and I've never really heard people talk about it that much. But how in the world have the Reds not traded Rysel Iglesias? Like think like think think about this for just a minute. The Reds are not competing. At least they haven't been up until now. Iglesias is a stud. Okay. Definite stud. No doubt about that. By the time that they're like winning and they really need that back end bullpen piece, would you guess, if you had to guess right now, by the time the Reds are competing, whenever you think that is, if it's a year, two, three years from now, four, whatever you think it is. Will Iglesias be better or worse than he is today? Worse. Exactly. It, it just, I don't understand why they haven't traded. They, they could get a King's Ransom for this guy at least a year or two ago. Probably still could get a lot. You would think that they've 
would have put had him out and at least floated him, but I don't think they have. I don't think I don't they've really even think, really listened to him on him. I don't really think they have either. And I've been thinking this for at least a year, maybe a little bit more, but I just and it's nothing against him. It's like their contention window. Like I don't I like Iglesias. I think he's really good, but I feel like it's a waste on the Reds when they could be ready to win and he could just be falling off. It's a reliever, you know? It's like why wouldn't you just get everything you can for him right now in, you know, in terms of young talent or whatever, you know, whatever you can do as far as young bats or pitchers, whatever, and just be done with it and it, know that at the most you're losing a, a stud reliever. I mean, it's probably not going to be a stud reliever in three or four years when you can win. It just, man, I don't, I don't get it. He has three years and $24 million on that contract right now. So that's only $8 million a year, yeah, which it, is a bargain for a closer like this. Yeah. And just sitting here listening and think to you thinking about this, I think the Boston Red Sox is something like 5 or $6 million from the luxury tax threshold. And they could throw something back their way to stay under it there. To where if you're the Reds and Red Sox, you could work something out and get something really nice back from Boston, you'd think, which I know Boston's farm system's pretty shot, so maybe that's the problem there with this conversation. But, man, I would imagine Boston would love to have that guy. Yeah, I've just always, I've like I said, I've thought about it for a while, and I feel like the Reds will get good, and Iglesias won't be as good as he is now. At least, maybe, maybe even, I mean, who knows how much he'll drop off. That stuff's hard to predict, but I don't really think there's much of a chance that he's better than this when the Reds are good. I just don't, like, I don't see that. No, we're doing a Bold Predictions podcast. I think we're going to try to do that this next next week. And I'm just going to, while thinking about it, here's my prediction with him and the Reds. Right now, the Reds, I think they think they can compete this year. They've been buying guys and, I think they're hoping to make a run this year, but they're going to be disappointed. They're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Yep. They are going to be disappointed, I think. And if they are, maybe this is the year because he has three years, 24 million on that deal through 2021. Maybe either this summer or in this off season, when they have two years left on that deal, that's when they move him. And maybe that's why they haven't moved him yet. They can still, his value is still there. And it's still going to be there this summer or fall, most likely. And he'll still have two years, and people will pay a good amount for two years of a cost-controlled reliever. But three years, you would think you'd get more. So I'm with you there. Anybody that thinks they're going to be good, just go look at their rotation. <laughs> Luis Castillo is going to win 35 games for him. I don't know what you're Tan- talking about. Tanner Roark's in the three spot. So. <laughs> Have fun with he that. He gives up ground balls. That's going to help in that ballpark. <laughs> oh, boy. It's disgusting. It's it's making me feel dirty just looking at it. God. Yeah. Let's move on to number 11, Josh Hader, 106. So now we're into the top of the eighth round of 15-teamer. Hader's an interesting case being up here because he's not a full-time closer. Andrew, I do know you're a big fan of Hader the pitcher. First, share why you like him so much, because I know you talked about him a lot last year to me. But second, in a redraft, now that his price is up here in the top of the eighth round, how comfortable do you feel about taking him here? Um, I like him so much because 
I got in on him cheap, and he's just he's just nasty. I mean, I remember saying that he was like the new Andrew Miller, and somebody gave me crap about it, like, oh, he's not as good as Andrew Miller, and I think he's better than Andrew Miller. Like, he's crazy awesome to me. And, yeah, I just got in on him way before he got hyped up, so I'm always going to like a guy like that. But as far as redraft now, I mean – I think it's kind of tough to take him in this spot. He's not a closer. He's not a starter. He does give you dominant innings, and it will help your ratios. And it doesn't really – the nice thing about it is it doesn't really hurt your case. Like I think, for example, I'd have to look this up to be exact, but I think he had around the same amount of Ks as like Kyle Hendricks last year, which is pretty good considering he's not not a starter. Hendricks had 161, Hayter had 143. So, yeah, I guess it was a little less. I thought it was closer than that. But, uh, yeah, the ratios are insane. So, you know, he's just basically covering ERA and whip for whichever one of your starters is blowing that up. And the Ks are good for a reliever. So, but, yeah, it's tough now because the price has gone way up. I mean, with Hayter, I've always kind of, dreamed of a world where he's either starting or he's closing. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get it. I've kind of gotten to the point with him where, because I own him in a couple dynasty leagues, I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't expect that anymore. I used to expect it. I used to expect, I think Hater's going to start, or I think they'll make him the closer. And I don't really expect it anymore. He's still awesome, even if this is what he is forever. It's just... It's a little disappointing because there's part of me that thinks he could be Chris Sale if they just let him go. But it doesn't seem like that's what they're going to do. So you just kind of have to be comfortable with that and ride it out. He's an awesome pitcher, though. That he is. He is He's really fun to watch throw because it's another one of those guys that it feels like it's impossible to get good a good square up on that guy. Let me ask you this. They announced tomorrow that Josh Hader is the closer. Where do you have him ranked on this list? Mm, good question. One, two. I know my answer. Third or fourth? Yeah, I'd have him second. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. And yeah. Actually, yeah, no. I think I agree. Edwin Diaz and then him. Actually, I think I'm taking him first. Yeah, I mean, you could actually, you could argue it. Honestly, you could. I mean, I think that's the interesting question is because he is just as dominant as Edward Diaz. Like, yeah, you know, you could make the argument he's more dominant than Edwin Diaz, but he's right there with him either way. I know there was a point last year where he was like the second or third ranked reliever, and he wasn't even getting saves. That just shows how ridiculous it is. He wound up with twelve saves, but. Yeah, I, I would take him second, Two. maybe maybe first. Yeah, it, it's, no, it's definitely I, right the there. The more I think about it, I can't take him ahead of Diaz, who's just done this for a few years now. Yeah, but, that's yeah, fair. number two. And it's very possible that he could finish number one. Oh, yeah. If, if they somehow – they're not going to, but if they somehow said that like tomorrow, just randomly out of the blue – everybody that drafted Hayter got a, the most ridiculous steal. It just, like, that would be almost league-winning type impact, I feel like, if he just closed. 
It's crazy. Yeah. That's the argument for taking him here, but the argument against it is that's unlikely. And, you know, then it's just ratios and Ks, which he'll definitely help with. He'll still get a handful of saves, too. I think he'll probably round, wind up the year around 10 saves or so if, if things stay the way they are now. Yep. If Corey can, even if Knievel's healthy, he's going to get, I was about to say, six to eight saves, 10 saves, yeah. something like that. Yeah, somewhere in there. Okay, list off the next five guys here. Jose LeClark, who's the closer in Texas at 110. Kirby Yates with San Diego at 113. Wade Davis at 119. Ken Giles, who's now with Toronto at 126. And the aforementioned Corey Kniebel with Milwaukee at 134. These guys are all going somewhere between the middle of the eighth and the end of the ninth round, about 24 picks apart here. Andrew, who do you like of this group, and is there anybody you're staying away from? Uh, I'm not touching Giles. I just can't stand that guy, and I don't think he's that good. I just don't like Ken Giles. I, I never like him at any price. I just can't stand him. But I don't really like the group in general, really. I The one thing with Wade Davis, I he's the, he's the old guy of the group and the guy that most people probably don't like because he's a Rocky and all that. The one thing that I like about Wade Davis is he will close his contract. He's getting paid way too much. And I thought that because I own him in a couple leagues last year and he was hot and cold and his final numbers didn't look that good. But the one thing I always felt like, even when he would get beat up and beat up, you know, a lot of the guys like that, they they lose their job. And Wade Davis just he's not going to lose his job. He's getting paid way too much. He's he's pitching the ninth inning. So that's the nice thing with him. I I don't have a lot of confidence in Yates either. I think he could be moved. He's way too high for me. LeClerc and Knable are all right here. I think they're fine, but I'm not a huge fan of this group. Yeah, I've not touched any of these guys in any drafts. Don't really love this group here. That's why I was getting the elite guys. But I agree. LeClerc and Knievel are the two I'd be most likely to take. Number 16 through 20, we got Jose Alvarado with Tampa Bay at 153. We go down 25 picks to Cody Allen, who's now with the Angels at 178. Will Smith with the Giants at 183. David Robinson at 191. And Erodus Vizcaino with the Braves at 196. Does anyone from this group interest you? A little bit with, uh, I think Robertson is probably actually my favorite of the group. Uh, I like the idea of pairing him with Sir Anthony. I I will say this, he's on the he's in the next group, but I love Sir Anthony Dominguez. I think that guy is just a star closer waiting to happen. When his break comes and he's able to just be the closer, I think he can be a top-tier closer, like an elite one. But it's not quite there yet, so you just kind of have to be patient if you're holding them like in a dynasty league or something. But I like the idea of pairing Robertson and Dominguez. It's just not going to be that cheap, so it's kind of tough. I don't really like these other guys in the group. Alvarado's the highest one, and he's fine, but he's a lefty closer that doesn't blow me away and when it's guys like that i i always feel like they're gonna find a righty to do it instead and i've also at the same time i've kind of always been high on diego castillo and 
Yeah, I, I don't really trust Alvarado too much in this spot, but it's not a bad pick either. I mean, it's round 11. You know, it's it's okay. It's just I'm probably not getting him. All five of those guys make me squeamish. Vizcano, I've always liked as a pitcher, but there's two reasons, three reasons to be worried about him, in my opinion. One is health, because he's been dinged up a lot. Two, I've seen it happen before where they stick somebody that's already on that roster behind him or in front of him, and he's setting up. And then number three, I could easily see Craig Kimbrell coming in and taking that job. So I I, I like Vizcano, the pitcher, but I don't feel comfortable about him here. What do you think with Robertson or the Phillies? Because the thing with the Phillies situation, I feel like between Robertson and Dominguez, it's going to be a stud closer. Like one, whichever one or how they do it, I don't know. And, you know, if they go back and forth, it might be annoying. But I think that the guy that is their primary ninth inning guy is going to outproduce this. It's 19 and 22 for Robertson and Dominguez. And, I think it's like a top 12-ish closer. I agree. I just don't know if I feel comfortable taking them because they're both so expensive. In terms of either one on their own is okay. If you thought that they'd get the job, it's a great value. Right, but right. taking them both as early as they go because, uh, just to say, Sir Anthony Dominguez goes base at four, 203, which is basically around after Robertson and that's my only hesitation with them. I do agree, though, that if you have them both combined, you've got a stud closer. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of – I know what you're saying, though. It's like the minute you put the faith in one, the other one gets it. I get that. I think I think Robertson has the edge for now, but, man, I love Dominguez, man. That's a good yep. tandem. All right, number 21, we got Archie Bradley with the Diamondbacks at 197. Then – We've mentioned Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jordan Hicks, the young Cardinal at 210. That's the, so now we're into the 15th round. Alex Colomay with the White Sox in the, at 226 in the 16th. Michael Givens, 227. Trevor May with the Twins at 240. Andrew Miller, another Cardinal at 244. Drew Steckenrider with Miami at 245. Pedro Strope with the Cubs at 252 and his teammate Brandon Morrow at 257. So here's my first question with these guys. I want to go right into Archie Bradley at 197. First off, is he the closer in Arizona to start the year? And if the answer is yes, and you feel pretty confident about it, he has to go a lot sooner than this, doesn't he? Yeah, if he's if he's the definitive closer to start the year, he probably has to go sooner. I just don't really trust that he is that. I don't really know. They haven't said yet, I don't believe, have they? No, but it felt like there was more confidence in him getting that job this year than years past, especially because Greg Holland's the only other guy there that I think that's in the running. And, man, Greg Holland looked cooked in in St. Louis last year, and I know he finished better with, wasn't Washington, but... I'm just not confident in Greg Holland. Yeah, see, this is one of those situations, though. Like, I totally get what you're saying, and I'm with you. But it's not up to me and you. Like, you know, it's like all all it takes. And I, like I said, I totally am with you. Archie Bradley's good. Greg Holland, not so much nowadays, you know. But all it takes is the guy in charge 
picking Greg Holland and what anybody else thinks, it doesn't mean anything. And this is a reason why I like getting an elite closer because you can sit there and love Archie Bradley all you want and it's fine. But if the manager doesn't make the decision that you hope that he makes, you're screwed. Like you're just, he's not getting you saves. And I'm not saying that he won't, he, he could. And if, if he does, it's a value here for sure. But I don't really have a lot of confidence until they say that's who it is, that that's who it is. I, I just don't know. So Well, here, here's my counter to that, though. Greg Holland is going significantly later. So you could take Bradley here and hope to get that upside of possibly landing yourself a top 10 closer because if he was the closer going into the year and they announced that, I think I have him as the top ten top ten reliever. And yeah, I'd, I'd probably have him like right behind like Hater and Leclerc, like Leclerc area. I'd probably have him if it was me. But yeah. not too far off. But I th- yeah. I think I'd have him ninth. Yeah, that's and you'd have him twelfth, something like that. So yeah, not so too far there. off. But and if let's say Holland gets that gig, yeah, you've got Archie Bradley that you can throw in there if you've. Got a rotation where you just need some good ratios for an in, uh, an inning, and he can sit on your bench, and you've got your Diamondbacks closer hopefully covered. That is, unless Johan Lopez moves in there and gets it. <laughs> yeah, I'm but, I'm I'm rooting for him personally, but it's a whole me too whole other reason. That you're meaning Lopez, right? Yeah, yeah, I got him yeah. real. I got him real late in the RM three draft, so that'd be awesome. God, that'd be great. But I'm not expecting yeah. that. Not this year, and if if so, maybe late this year. But I'm yeah, with you, you on that. You never know. Again, it's one of those things. It's 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 their call, and sometimes the the guy that they pick isn't the guy you think. It it's not just like who the best pitcher is. Sometimes it's it's so weird. How, you know, when you when you get down to this point, like we're at twenty one to thirty, it's it's weird how they pick them. Sometimes it's really it's hard to predict. I will say I, I love Dominguez. I already said him. I like Trevor May on this list. I feel like he's far enough down. Um, he's another one. It's not a lock that he's the closer, but if he is, I think that he's definite value. He's the 26th off the board, so he was really good short sample last year. I think he can be really good again. I think he's the best pitcher in their bullpen. But again, it, it doesn't mean that's who they're going to take in the ninth, but I think he's the one that stands out to me on this list as far as combination of how good I expect him to be and how good of a chance he has of actually landing the role. Like the combination of those two things, I think Trevor May's the best one on this list. Yep. I like Jordan Hicks also. I think he still walking too many guys. It seemed like he was getting better at striking hitters out last year in the second half because compared to the first, he looked like a better pitcher in the second half. But he still has some improvement to be made. But he's only 22, and man, that guy, he can throw hard. If I recall right, I think he may have even thrown as hard as 105 miles an hour in a game at some point. He's got sick velocity. But I also like Alex Colomay with the White Sox, and I like the idea of comboing him with Kelvin Herrera. And I think you could get yourself a nice closer out of those two. Um, Michael Givens with the 
Baltimore Orioles, I worry about that guy, and I have him in Roto Masters too. But I think that's a guy who, if I was looking at this list and of the guys who start the year with the job, I think he's possibly the first guy to lose it. There isn't anybody else even there, but I'm, I'm not that confident in him with what I've seen from him the last year or two. I've heard somebody say that he has bad splits against lefties. I haven't looked into that myself. With the Orioles, he'll get a save opportunity once every three weeks. So <laughs> it'll be it'll take him a while to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so now we're going dumpster diving with relievers. And we've got Dylan Batances with the Yankees at 31. A.J. Minter with the Braves at 32. Shane Green, who is actually the closer at 33 for the Tigers. Matt Barnes with the Red Sox, who... Looks like he may actually grab that gig because it doesn't seem like they're going to pay the money Kimbrell wants at 34. Jeremy Jeffries with the Brewers at 35. Willie Peralta with the Royals at 36. Adam Adovino, 37. Kelvin Herrera, 38. Joe Jimenez with the Tigers at 39. Zach Britton at 40. Hunter Strickland, 41. Ryan Presley, 42. Blake Parker, 43. Ryan Brazier, 44, and Trevor Rosenthal, 45. These are all late-round, late in-game relievers. So who of this group would you take a chance on? Uh, I like Joe Jimenez. I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't believe in Shane Green. I think he's garbage. I think that Joe Jimenez is better. I think that he can take the job from him and be pretty good closer. I know he kind of faltered down the stretch last year, but overall, I like him. The Tigers just need to recognize that he's the better of the two and let him just take over. They're not going anywhere anyways. You know, it's whatever. But I don't. I can't guarantee that he will. You know, a lot of these guys, you don't know if they're getting the role. I will say, I think um, as far as pure saves go for this year, I mean, Green, obviously, he's going to start with the gig. You would think, anyway. And um, whatever's going on in Boston, I, I'll admit I haven't followed that one too close because I kind of liked Brazier for a while. I know people have talked about Barnes, and I just don't even know if the guy is going to be worth investing in. It's just been hard for me to peg which one it's going to be. And I could also see Boston going out and doing something else, too, if they had to. I, I could see it being neither one of them for long, but it's hard to say. And then Strickland should get saves. So if you're interested in him, obviously we mentioned Rosenthal, what we thought of him. That's pretty much it off this list. I still think Adovino's pretty nasty, but obviously he's behind to roll this. So. And I think Willie Peralta looks like he's probably going to get that gig in the, with the Royals. That's been a competition, and I do think he gets it. Again, terrible team. Pitcher who's been better as a closer than he was as a starter, but uh, cheap saves way this late. But again, yeah, I, this is, I don't I almost, feel great about taking closures here. I almost think I'd rather invest in Boxberger even later. I don't. I have no faith in Willie Peralta. Zero. Not that I, I, I don't. Not that I have much in Boxberger, but I, <laughs> I, I've seen him do it more. I guess that Peralta to me is yeah. And I'm not saying I'm targeting him there, but I do think he's got the gig. Yeah, he here. may. I, I think yeah. I feel a little more confident in him than you, but again, I'm not saying I'm targeting him of this group. I think he, I think you mentioned the guys I like too. So, And then there's just a few guys that are going a little lower that I saw when I was going down the list. I saw Greg Holland down there. 
Mark Melanson with the the Giants. Uh, familiar with the Mets as a nice insurance, and a, really he just is draft and hold insurance if you take Edwin Diaz. And then we mentioned Diego Castillo. He's down there, way down there. You can get him in like the, at the as the last pick in a thirty team if you're drafting thirty guys. He's a nice little last pick just in case he was to somehow come up with that job to start the year. Sergio Romo, he's way down there, and actually I think he's starting that job, starting the year with that job in Miami, or he very well could be. So that's a guy that just make sure that people don't sleep on him. At least make sure you have him in your queue in case everybody else does sleep on him. That might be a guy to grab late. Bud Norris, all he has is his Ken Giles in front of him, and he's done this the last two years where it looked like there was no chance of him getting the role, and the next thing you know he's closing for the first half of the year and then faltering late. And finally, Fernando Romero with the Twins. That guy probably is not one you're drafting in a redraft league unless it's draft and hold, but keep an eye on him because if he's pitching, I liked him as a starter. They moved him to the pen. He's with the Twins, and he's a guy who, if he's pitching real well, I could see him working his way into late-inning situations by the end of the year. Uh, yeah, one thing I will say with Familia, uh, I do, you had mentioned him as like Diaz insurance. I did get him in a draft and hold where I took Diaz, backed it up with Familia. I like it. I Obviously, you're, you're not taking Familia in like a standard league. It would be just like a draft and hold type, but obviously you don't expect Diaz to lose the job. Anytime it's the best closer in the league, you're just, you're not expecting that, you know, anything. But the one thing I will say is when you're investing like a fourth round pick in Edwin Diaz or a fifth round pick, whatever you're investing, I think it's good to back that up with a guy that I feel like if Familia had the job, like, let's just say Diaz had a short bout of wildness or a small injury where he was out a couple weeks or something feel like Familia would be good. If he had the job, let's just say hypothetically, Diaz was out for the whole season and Familia had the job, I think he'd be like a top 10 to 12 closer. Like he's good. You know, he's good. He's good. So, yeah, I like backing up a Diaz investment with Familia. Unless it's, you know, if it's a regular league, like where it's only seven bench, it's tough to do, but. I'm talking in like a deeper format where you can stash more guys and stuff, draft and hold mostly. I definitely like that. Some of these other guys like Melanson, uh, I don't really have much interest in. I just think that guy's fried. I can't see it, but you never know. He does have quote-unquote closing experience. Sometimes teams lean on that. I don't really see that last. And Diego Castillo is one guy I've, I've talked about for a while. I've got him in, I think, three dynasty leagues. I've just been storing him in my minors, but I won't be able to much longer. So I'm hoping he gets the job before I can't do that anymore. And he's part of the reason I'm a little reserved on Alvarado because I think that he can, I think he can take it from him. I do. But yeah, these guys are just, you know, they're just late flyers. It's, one or two of them will get, a, you know, maybe even three. They'll get a few saves, but for them to be closing the whole year is probably unlikely. You're just trying to fall into something there. Man, Andrew, 
I thought, man, with us doing relief pitchers and throwing a little news, we might get this done in like, you know, maybe an hour. No, no, no. We went a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah, we went a while there on news and just talked for a bit, but yeah, strategy. But that was good info. I really enjoyed this show personally. So hopefully you all did too. Yeah. We uh next show uh We'll figure out what we're going to do next. I think we might talk about our dynasty drafts or something, but. Yeah, I think that's the plan. We, Andrew and I both have talked about having startup dynasties, and we might both interview each other talking about our drafts and ask some questions, and you guys can hear about what a startup dra- dynasty. Maybe you haven't played in a startup dy- or a dynasty league before. You can see what our strategies are and. Also, what some strategies some other teams maybe have had, too, to where we can maybe learn a little bit more about what a dynasty startup draft looks like. I think that'd be a lot of fun to talk about. And after that, you know, next weekend, early next week, something like that, we're going to try to get a podcast out where we do our season preview, maybe talk about division winners, make some bold predictions. And then after that, we're just a few days from getting actual baseball games and then We'll be talking about real box scores and what we're seeing on the field. Yeah, just just so you guys know, I think that what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're definitely gonna do a predictions podcast where we just go through all our predictions, you know, division winners and you know, just random bold predictions, some bold, some not bold, some good, some bad, I'm sure, but I think what we're going to do is we're going to post in the group. We're going to have a predictions post where people just post their, you know, random predictions. You don't have to list off everything, but just random predictions that you have. And we're going to read some of them on the show. Like we're going to read our favorite ones and, you know, ones that we think are good. We're going to read them on the show and we're going to attach the name to the prediction. So so you're held accountable for <laughs> when you're right or wrong. But, yeah, I think keep an eye out for that post because I'm sure that we'll have a lot of them on there. Me and Justin will kind of go through them and pick out certain ones to read that we liked or that caught our eye that we thought were interesting. So, yeah, yeah keep an eye out for that. I think most of our listeners are already member of the group, members of the group. But if you found this group in a, or this podcast in a different way, in the show notes, where, where I list all of the events and the timelines of what's on this show, at the very bottom, I always put a link to the Facebook group. So you can always go join the Facebook group, and then you could actually find this post that we're going to put up there in the next couple of days and get a question that we'll read on the show. And I guess before we get out of here, one last thing I will mention is we are giving away a Baseball 365 t-shirt and we are going to do that drawing sometime next week. So you have between now and opening day to get onto iTunes and write us a review. And if you do that, we'll get you added on. And on the Facebook group, we'll do a drawing and we'll announce somebody f- winning a free T-shirt and we'll send somebody a shirt. All right, Andrew. So any final words before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. Regular season game, less than two days away. So. Yeah, you need to already get yourself prepped by going to bed at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. 
<laughs> How often do you go to bed at eight o'clock at night? I, it seems like you're always up late. Never, ever. <laughs> usually, usually about midnight is when I shut it down. Somewhere around there. Yeah. I miss See, the I don't consider I don't consider that late. I just don't. What well, midnight, even up to like one, I'm good there. But I don't have to go into work as early as some, so it's it's fine with me. But yeah. You can yeah. do it, so why not? I remember yeah. being 21, 22, and I, at that time, I worked at Lens Crafters, made glasses, and the earliest I ever went into work was 9 o'clock, and usually it would either be 10, 11, or 12.30, and I was up till after midnight every single night. 364 days of the year, I'd be up a- after midnight. The only night I'd have to go to bed early was the one day of the year where we did some stuff and I had to be there at seven o'clock in the morning and I missed those days. I was a night owl and yeah. I had to, tr- I had to transform eventually. Yeah. I start usually at nine or 11, so it's not bad for me. I, nope. I can, I can stay up a little later than a lot of people, but it's nice for those West coast games, you know, like it is the Dodger games and like the Mariner game, you know, anybody like that, you can watch those late games. And I've been staying up later the last couple months, but I've also learned because there've been a couple times where I've stayed up in the living room and I've watched some preseason baseball going on, on the MLB network. And I've, I've fallen asleep two or three times at 10 30. So I'm like, man, yeah. I thought with maybe staying up, doing these podcasts, being up a little later, I'd be able to, Hang in there, but I'm already worried that no, I'm going to be falling asleep at 10:30, 11 o'clock still. But we'll see. Yeah, it happens to me too from time to time. Okay, we're going to get out of here. I appreciate you all. Take care, everybody. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. Baseball 365.